0: That's the beauty and the greatness and the thrill of God's love. That no matter what you've done, He loves you. For God so loved the world. The black world. The white world. The yellow world. The red world. The rich world. The poor world. The uneducated world. The educated world. And He loves us all the same. God loves you. Well, good morning, everyone. It's good to be in church. Good to be in God's house with God's people. Let's go to uh, John chapter 1. John chapter 1, as we continue our short series called Come and See. And we're going to take a look at verses 35 to 42. And we're going to call this message, Let the Journey Begin. John chapter 1, verses 35 to 42. It wasn't until um, I heard about it a number of times from my wife, Linda, that I finally began to read The Lord of the Rings. And I have since read them at least three times, maybe more than that. Uh, The Hobbit, yeah, I love The Hobbit, but I like actually the longer story, The Lord of the Rings, even more. And as I was working on this message, the last week or so, I started remembering a scene that they show in the movie, The Lord of the Rings, but actually the books are better. But it kind of stuck with me because it illustrates a little bit about what we're going to see in this passage, where we see Jesus beginning his ministry and the first four of his disciples when they begin to identify with him and they begin to follow him. Anyway... In The Lord of the Rings, Bilbo Baggins had some adventures that are told in the story The Hobbit, pretty significant adventures for him. And after he came back, years later, he was talking to his young nephew Frodo, and he said this, it's a dangerous business going out your door, and if you don't keep to your feet there's no knowing where you might be swept off to. Years later, Frodo Baggins did eventually get swept off his feet. He had all sorts of adventures, some good, a lot not so good, but he had all sorts of adventures, and he ended up saving the fantasy world of Middle Earth from destruction. And that reminded me of what it means when we become a disciple of Jesus The main idea that I want us to come away from this passage is this. Following Jesus is an open-ended journey. None of us knows exactly what's ahead as we begin that journey. The only one that knows is Jesus himself. And if you've ever seen this picture of what we imagine... Little stick guy, what we imagine a life of being Jesus' disciple will be like. And here we are, little stick person. And then there's the arrow going up, okay? Making progress. That's what we imagine what it will be like. Actually, what it is is here we are, little stick person, and the arrow is doing this, (laughs) okay? Because that's what an open ended journey is all about. He's our Savior. He's our deliverer, he's our ever-present guide and Lord. He will take us through lots of adventures and challenges, all to make us more like him. One thing is for certain though, following Jesus, and my voice is a little rough so I may go through puberty again up here. (laughs) Following Jesus is not boring. I could guarantee you that, okay? Let's review just a little bit from what Pastor Daniel. By the way, if you're on Facebook, you can follow the adventures of our beloved Pastor Daniel as he's coming back from Virginia, bringing a car for uh, Avery and Bea, okay? Uh, He stopped off at a chicken farm along the way. Who knows what he's doing right now? We don't know. But pray for him. He's supposed to arrive by Saturday, which means, unfortunately, he will miss our picnic, which, by the way, remember the picnic, April 1st, okay? Yeah, no, it's not, I know it's April Fool's Day, but it's still April 1st, our picnic that we're gonna have here. It's one reason why we fixed up, spent so much time yesterday, a uh, large crew of us on the work day, getting the campus looking nice for that picnic as well as for Easter Sunday. Okay, commercial done. Anyway, last Sunday, Daniel took us to what John had to say about John the Baptist. John the Baptist, as he himself said, he was a voice. They had all kinds of ideas of what he might be, but when they finally got around to asking John himself, he said, I'm a voice and I'm telling you, get prepared, a far greater one than me is coming. And illustrate how unworthy John felt, although he is called a witness and he was a witness to Jesus, John himself said, I'm not even worthy to untie his sandals, which that was about the lowest job you could have as a slave was untying the sandals and taking the sandals off somebody's dirty feet. John said, I'm not even worthy of that, but he was a voice, and he was a witness. What we're going to see as we look at the passage that we have this morning, verses 35 to 42 of John chapter one, we're going to see that on this journey for discipleship, there are four essentials that are going to happen along the way. All right? Everybody who's ever been a disciple or will be a disciple of Jesus, we have to go through these same four things. First of all, we have to identify Jesus. Secondly, we have to follow Jesus. Third, we bring others to Jesus. And finally, we are changed by Jesus, okay? So let's now take a look and read with me John chapter one, verses 35 to 42. The next day, John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? And they said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, Come, and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the 10th hour. That's about four in the afternoon. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother, Simon, and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. Now, on the surface, this passage looks very straightforward. All right? And it is. But you need to realize something as we go through this scripture. And this is true of so many places in the gospel of John. John. There is a surface meaning that's important that we catch, but under that surface meaning, there's a lot deeper, more profound stuff that's happening here. All right? You got to remember, John wrote this gospel near the end of a very, very long ministry. He was probably one of the youngest of the disciples who followed Jesus, but Our best guess as to when he wrote this gospel was about 50 or 60 years later. As he's approaching the end of a long ministry, God puts upon his heart through the Holy Spirit to write this gospel and he has been thinking and praying and meditating upon the events of the three years he spent with Jesus as now his own ministry is beginning to draw to a close. And I can tell you when you get older, You can't remember what you had for breakfast yesterday, but you do remember things that happened 50, 60 years ago. Amen? That's where John is, okay? So we're gonna probe a little deeper than just the surface as we go through this. First essential of discipleship, identify Jesus. We see John doing that, John the Baptist doing that in verses 35 and 36. He looks at Jesus and the idea there it's a look with insight. He uses a description for Jesus that he had used the previous day and he calls Jesus the lamb of God. Now this word guys it's very rare in the New Testament in the Greek. It only appears 4 times. 2 times it's in this chapter by the words of John the Baptist. But even though it doesn't appear very often, it describes Jesus's identity. We'll discuss that in just a second. The other part, time when John uses it, is when he says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Takes away the sin of the world. That's Jesus's mission. But to appreciate his mission, we first have to understand his identity. And that's what John wants these two disciples of his to catch. Lamb of God, a number of ideas are behind this word. For one, remember the story of when God commanded Abraham to offer up Isaac as a sacrifice? In Genesis 22, And he did not have to do it because there was a ram caught by the horns in a thicket. And so Abraham, again, following God's command, sacrificed the ram, a grown up lamb, in place of offering up his own son. Later, there will be the Passover lamb if the Jews did not want to experience the death of the firstborn, as God's final plague came upon Egypt to free them from slavery, what they had to do was to offer the Passover lamb, something that Jewish people do to this day right around this time of year as they celebrate the Passover. And then when the temple was built, they would offer, actually it was first in the tabernacle and then later in the temple, every single day, they would offer up a lamb for the sins of the people in the morning and a second lamb for the sins of the people in the evening, every single day, even when the temple was besieged some 40 years after Jesus' ministry and the Romans were gonna destroy it, up until the day the temple was leveled, they still offered a lamb. But most profound of all was in the prophecy in Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53, we're told there about the servant of the Lord. And in verses seven and eight, the servant of the Lord who gives himself for us, here's what it says in Isaiah 53, seven and eight. Speaking of Jesus, he was oppressed And he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth, like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, like a sheep that before its shearers is silent. So he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. As for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people?" There's a number of titles for the Lord in this chapter. John calls him the Lamb of God. Later, he'll be called the Messiah. He'll be called the Son of God. He'll be called the King of Israel. He himself will call himself the Son of Man, his favorite title. And guys, each and every one of those titles reveals something about Jesus. Something that we begin to understand as we begin to walk with him as a disciple. Identifying Jesus means to recognize who he really is and his claims on us. And by the way, don't let anybody ever try to tell you, oh, he's, he was a good moral teacher. Because as C.S. Lewis says in his book, Mere Christianity, he did not really leave that option open simply to say, oh, Jesus was a good teacher. This is what Lewis wrote. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level of a man who says he's a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let's not come with any patronizing nonsense about him being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. Okay? So the first step, identify who Jesus really is, or at least begin to identify who he really is. Who he really is is something that we spend the rest of our lives as disciples of Jesus discovering more and more about. Amen? The second step is to do what these two disciples did, follow Jesus. That's verses 37 to 39. Follow Jesus, in the Greek language there, it's a once-for-all commitment, meaning that they began to follow Jesus that day, and they never really stopped, even Some three years later, if we go clear to the end of the Gospel of John, when the Lord had to do some tough love with Peter, after Peter had denied Jesus three times, which the Lord said, that's what you're going to do, Peter. And then Peter had to be restored, and it was a very difficult conversation for Peter to have, but he was restored to ministry, and that's told us in John chapter 21. After Peter goes through that, Over in John 21, beginning at verse 18, Jesus tells Peter what his future is going to be like now that once more he's following Jesus as he should be. Here's what he said. Truly, truly. Literally in the Greek, it's amen, amen. Meaning, listen up. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young... You used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted, but when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you to where you do not want to go. And then John adds, he said this to show by what kind of death he was going to glorify God. Peter was long dead in heaven when John wrote this. And according to church tradition, it's not in scripture, but according to church tradition, Peter was crucified upside down. And after saying this, he said to him, same command, same command three years later, follow me. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following him. That's the apostle John the one who had also leaned back against him during the supper and had said, Lord, who is it that's going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, what about this man? Have you ever played the comparison game? Lord, i am going through such hard and difficult times. What about that guy? That's what Peter's doing here. And whenever we do the comparison game, frankly, what about the other guy? It's none of our business. Jesus said to him, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? Follow me. John was the last living apostle when he wrote this. His ministry, his life was very, very different from Peter. What they both had in common though, they both followed Jesus. Now, coming back to John chapter 1, did you catch the question? Jesus asks him when he sees these two guys, one of which is Peter, one of which is Andrew, the other most likely is John, although he never calls himself by name. In the entire gospel, but most likely it is him. He asked them, Jesus does, what are you seeking? See, lots of people follow Jesus. Lots of people follow Jesus today, but not necessarily for the right reasons. Jesus, during part of his ministry, that three-year ministry, was incredibly popular. But the problem was, was that lots of people were following Jesus for the wrong reason. So, for example, in John chapter 6, the Lord does the miracle of feeding the 5,000, and the crowd thinks, woo, free bread. This is surely the man who's going to free us from the Romans. And so they're going to take Jesus and make him king by force. And Jesus quickly leaves and gets his disciples out of there. And then later, the next day, the crowd finds Jesus again. Here's what he says to them. John chapter 6, verses 26 and 27. Jesus answered, Truly I tell you, you are looking for me not because you saw the signs, See, Jesus performing that miracle and other miracles was to, as a testimony to them, a witness to them of who he really was, but they weren't really interested in who he really was. Truly, I tell you, you don't, you're not looking for me. You are looking for me, not because you saw the signs, but because you ate the loaves and were filled. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that lasts for eternal life which the Son of Man will give to you because God the Father has set his seal of approval on him. What are you seeking? That's what he asked them. You see, later on, The Lord talked to that same crowd that he warned, you're not seeking me for the right reason. And he told them, I am the bread of life. You know what they did? They left. They turned back and no longer walked with him. So we identify Jesus. We begin to follow Jesus, but we begin to follow Jesus for the right reasons. And by the way, once they started following Jesus, they got to hang out with Jesus, didn't they? It was the 10th hour, about 4 o'clock in the afternoon. Too late to go anywhere else on much of a journey, so they spent the night with Jesus. Wouldn't that have been cool? But even that idea, there's something more going on. Like one fellow wrote, J. Ramsey Michaels, here's what he wrote, to follow is to embark with Jesus on a journey, while to stay or to remain is to maintain a lasting personal relationship with Jesus. Put it to you this way. Real disciples stay stuck on Jesus, okay? As Jesus himself said later when he said, hey, I'm the vine, you guys are the branches, John 15, 9 and 10, he says this, As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. Real disciples stick with Jesus. Jesus. I've done all kinds of jobs before I finally hit the golden age of retirement, whatever that is. One of the jobs I used to do years ago in the summers was I worked for a Christian businessman in town that was a good friend at a place called Budget Office and Educational Furniture. My boss, George, he would buy all this old classroom office furniture, and he'd buy it on auction. So it's definitely used, okay? And then he'd trundle this stuff and he would bring it in and we would look at this stuff and our job was to fix it up. You know, we'd have a desk kind of messed up and all that, re-glue the desk, all that. We'd get classroom equipment. And if something really, really needed to be fixed up, we got out the secret weapon, super glue. <laughs> and food, and... Uh, Wood polish. And we'd fix that thing up, get the C clamp, put on the super glue. It fixed anything because it's stuck. To be a disciple of Jesus means we have to be stuck on Jesus. And the third thing, the third essential to following, to being a disciple of Jesus is that we bring others to Jesus. Look back at our passage. Now, remember, it's already about four in the afternoon, but before he goes and wants to hang out with Jesus, Andrew, one of these two disciples, has something very important to do. Verse 40, one of the two of them who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother, Simon, and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which means the Christ. Before he could do anything else, he's got to get his brother. Now, if you've been watching, as Linda and I have watched all of the episodes so far of The Chosen, they do a great job of showing this story, all right? The guy playing Simon Peter, Simon Peter has lots and lots of troubles, okay? And lots of distractions. But Andrew keeps bugging his brother and telling him about Jesus, it's interesting, every time Andrew's name shows up in this gospel, he's bringing somebody to Jesus. Here it's his own older brother. Later, remember the feeding of the 5,000? The Lord had to have something to work with, so he takes a little boy's lunch. The five little fishes, two barley loaves, who talked the little boy out of his lunch, Andrew. Later, as the Lord is now approaching the cross where he's gonna lay his life down as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, Philip and Andrew want to bring some Greeks, some non-Jews, to meet Jesus. That's in John chapter 12, verse 22. It should be an easy step From following Jesus to being a witness for Jesus. It should be easy for us. But sometimes it's not, is it? I remember when I was studying for the ministry and I took in my first full-time semester as a student... I took this class called Evangelism and Missions. It was taught by two different teachers. It was a great class. I loved the missions class, all right? Learned all kinds of things about how God works in the world. And then I had to take the evangelism class, and it happened to be from a fellow that I would get to know quite well in seminary. Took lots of classes from him. And that guy, that turkey, he had a requirement in that class. He says, you know what, guys? You can ace all of the exams, read all the textbooks, write great papers, but if you do not share your faith at least once in the class, you fail. <laughs> so week one goes by, week two, week three, week four, it's getting close. I haven't done it yet. I have to tell you guys, those of you who don't know, I'm very shy, Okay and socially awkward, that's kind of my nature, all right? Open mouth, and cert foot, that's me. <laughs> so I finally went to the park on a Saturday, I had my little gospel track, and I find this guy fishing next to a great big pond, older guy, sitting in his lawn chair, just fishing all by himself. I circle around the pond two or three times, <laughs> trying to work up the nerve to talk to, this guy's name was Creeley, Mr. Creeley. And finally, I went down there and I talked to him for about 20, 25 minutes. Turns out he was the nicest man. He was a retired truck driver, one of the salt of the earth. And I got to share the Lord with him. And I actually have one of my Bibles still at home or probably in the office now. I have his name written in that Bible to remember to pray for him. Guys, that was 35 years ago. I don't know why I made a big deal out of sharing my faith because I was so blessed when I finally did it. That's part of what a real disciple does. Okay. Bringing others to Jesus. Now, by the way, did you catch what Andrew tells Simon Peter? It's one of those key descriptive words about Jesus. He tells him, we have found the Messiah. And then John translates that for us, for his Greek audience, and he says, by the way, that that word means the Christ. In English, it means the anointed one. In the Old Testament, whenever you had a new king coming to rule the people of Israel, whether it was Saul or later David or later Solomon, you always anointed that king. Simply, you poured olive oil upon them and you prayed for them, and that symbolized that they were set apart for God's service. They were dedicated for God's service. You did the same thing when they started the priesthood. Aaron and his sons were all anointed. They were all set apart for God's service. Jesus is the special anointed one empowered by the Holy Spirit, set apart for the Father's service to provide salvation for us. Now let me ask you this. Do you think Andrew knew fully what that title Messiah meant? No. Because what happens throughout Jesus' ministry is he has to keep working on these disciples To understand, he did not come to drive the Romans away. He came to die for the sins of the people. He came as the suffering servant of God to provide salvation for us. That was his mission. Later, he will return as the ruling and reigning king, but not the first time. Now, by the way, there's one other person in this gospel, only one, who also calls Jesus the Messiah, the Samaritan woman. Remember her? Chapter four, Jesus tells her at one point, go, call your husband, come back. And she kind of mumbles under her breath, I have no husband. Lord says, what you said is true. You've had five husbands and the guy you have now is not your husband. And the conversation proceeds on from there, and finally she says to him, as they're talking by the well outside the town, just the two of them, and she says at one point, I know that when the Messiah will come, he will explain all things to us, and then Jesus, very uncharacteristically, comes straight out and tells her, I'm him. And then the disciples show up, wonder why in the world he's talking to a Samaritan, and a woman, because rabbis did not do that, she takes off, runs back to town, the town where she was trying to avoid everyone because of her questionable past. She didn't want to see anybody, talk to anybody, and she's proclaiming in this town, she said, I found somebody. Could this be the Christ? She's not sure, but she knows Jesus is different. A witness for Jesus must have personal experience with Jesus. Andrew, starting to have personal experience. The Samaritan woman, starting to have personal experience. You can't testify for what you do not know. Now, not everybody is aware of this, but Pastor Mark has a very special spiritual gift. It's called discernment. And it involves his discernment of hot sauces. <laughs> Mark and I try to meet about once a week or so for lunch. He's not here. Good. <laughs> We try to meet about once a week or so for lunch at Tina Marie's, a restaurant right by the church offices, and they have a whole rack of hot sauces, and Mark loves to try them out, and then he tries to tell me how good they are, and I, ne- I never believe him, because I like to keep my taste buds. But the point is, he's experienced all these different things, okay, and so therefore he can testify, Apply that spiritually. If we're going to be able to be a witness for Jesus, we have to have personally experienced Jesus. Amen? Amen? And then finally, the fourth essential we have to be changed by Jesus. Okay? That's the fourth essential of discipleship. Anybody who walks with Jesus for very long is never going to be the same. And we see this essential in verse 42. When Jesus meets Simon Peter, look at the verse again with me. He, that's Andrew, brought to Jesus, brought him, that's Simon Peter, to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas. Cephas is basically the Aramaic word, which Aramaic was probably the language Jesus was speaking. It's their word for Peter. Peter. Peter means rock. It's a nickname. Think of Rocky, not Rocky Balboa. This is a different one, okay? The word, the Greek word there for when Jesus looked at Simon Peter, it's the same word for when John looked at Jesus. It's a word that means you're looking at someone with insight when John looked at Jesus he did not simply see his cousin he saw the Lamb of God when Jesus looks At Peter, remember John tells us later in John chapter 2, verses 23 to 25, that Jesus does not need to have men's testimony given to him because he knows the heart of every man. He looks at him and he says, You're not just gonna be Simon Peter, that's who you are right now. You're gonna become Peter. See, scripturally speaking, when the Lord changes somebody's name, and besides Simon Peter, it happens at least two other times. A couple of things take place when the Lord changes someone's name. First of all, it means that they have a new role to fulfill. So for example, Abraham, Abraham means exalted father. But when he was 99 years old, Only one child, Hagar, almost didn't count because it wasn't by Sarah. But the Lord says, you're no longer going to be Abraham. You're going to become Abraham. Abraham means father of many. One kid, father of many. Yep, because that's what's going to happen. Jacob, Jacob means deceiver or he deceives. Not a very nice name. But after his wrestling match with the Lord in Genesis 32, which Jacob loses, but he's desperate to get a blessing from God, and the Lord says, you're no longer going to be Jacob. You're going to be Israel. Israel means he strives, he struggles with God. So when God changes someone's name, it means they have a new role to fulfill. Also, he's asserting his control over them. They may mess up, and they will. Abraham did, Jacob did, Peter did. They may mess up, but God will accomplish his purpose in their life. Now, Simon Peter wasn't much of a rock, for a long time. There's one guy Leon Morris wrote, he said this. He was impulsive, he is impulsive, volatile, unreliable. But that's not what God that's not God's last word for Peter. Jesus renaming the man points to the change that will be wrought in him by the power of God. Following Jesus equals transformation by Jesus. Do you know that the term Christian was not something that the early Christians actually called themselves? It was a name put on them to make fun of them. The early Christians called themselves followers of the way. Followers is another way to say disciples. It's the same word. Meaning that We follow the one who is changing us along the way. We are all a work in progress. That's what a disciple, being a disciple is all about. That's the reason why Peter wrote to the Philippians. Philippians chapter one, verse six, he said, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. That's true for every single person who's a disciple of Jesus. He starts something in us, and we are a work in progress until we stand before him. So as we wrap up this message, two final questions, coming back to this idea of let the journey begin, okay? Okay. The journey of discipleship. First question Have you started your journey with Jesus? The only way you can start is if you come to Him, as these guys did. Secondly, if you are following Jesus, how are you doing on your journey? With Jesus. Sometimes we're doing good, sometimes we're not doing good. One thing we can count on, though, is He never ever lets us go. But we have to be honest, too. How are you doing? Do you need to go back, retrace some steps? Do you need to come to Him honestly one more time? How are you doing? in your journey with Jesus. So as Rachel leads us in a final song, we're going to have our elders, some of our pastors, our prayer team people come forward, willing to pray with anybody who needs prayer. If you want to be a disciple, here's an opportunity to make that decision. If you want to do other spiritual business with the Lord, you come as the Lord leads